Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast, the podcast here to help you with your relationship with food and body by giving you evidence-based techniques to support yourself with a sprinkling of feminism, a dash of dismantling diet culture and a side of vulnerability as we share our own messy lives with you. I'm Emilia, a registered nutritionist and PhD with the sole purpose of making your life happier and healthier. If you love it, please do go wild and share it. And if you're ready for support with our coaching, details are in the show notes. Hello and welcome to the ET PhD team podcast. This is episode 154. And you may notice I am not Scottish. I have no soft, dulcet tones. Amelia is sadly poorly with COVID. So you just have myself attempting to host. <laughs> and uh, today I am joined with Becca. Hi, Becca. How are you doing? COVID? I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Just about back to full health. Although I'm still wrecked. I don't know what was in this, this COVID, this round of it. But we're surviving. And poor Amelia now is, is the one down. We miss you if you're listening. <laughs> you nailed it, Anna, though. You nailed it. Thanks. I tried. I've been practicing. <laughs> Hi, Georgia. How are you doing? Hello. I'm good, thank you. And can we just appreciate how hard it is to say ETPHD? Yeah. Quickly. <clears throat> so well done. It is. Do you know what? So I will eventually stop talking about my teeth. I'm still struggling with certain words because my teeth have changed shape. But on Tuesday, I had the wire braces fitted at the back. So again, mm. it's just made me sound even weirder at the moment. And I'm still trying to get used to it. So, <laughs> Top tip, do not bite into an apple with those bars at the back of your teeth. I don't know how many I've broken at this point. Oh, really? Unless I had a really bad job on mine. But you'll have to start eating fruit like bad guys in films, like carving it off with a knife in little slices and just chewing <laughs> it in the back of teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some strange looks, I'm sure, but we'll see. We'll see. So let's start. Georgia, do you want to get started? Sure, thank you so much. Um, okay, so strategies for self-help in the midst of stressful times, um, e.g. a meeting where things are going poorly, a difficult exchange with your child. I feel like if I could cope with the stress from the beginning, rather than stuffing it down until I have a free moment to look at it, that I might handle it better with less negative consequences. Hmm. Really good question. And it's it's all about like regulating in the moment, isn't it? And the best way to do that is by, you know, figuring out how your body feels in that moment, I find, because it usually starts in your body, right? Doesn't it? You start getting tense, your breathing might start going shallow, or you might hold your breath. So in that moment where you feel yourself getting heightened, I would say to take that breath, you know, come back to come back to the present moment and notice the sensations in your body so that you can actually allow, you know, allow the body and the brain to to realize that things aren't as scary or as threatening as they may seem. So that's kind of tip number one. And then over time, practicing that. So practicing taking the pause before you respond. And I'm sure you guys are doing work on that already. Um, but yeah, I would say mindfulness. So coming back to the present moment, focusing on any sensations within your body, taking the pause and having self-compassion when it doesn't go to plan because it doesn't always go to plan. 
let's just get that one in there because <laughs> yes. yes. it's definitely something that does take practice right 100 percent. yeah I think given the two examples that were in that question I think my two in those sorts of situations would be and then oh, which self-compassion one is it is it number two mm-hmm. is in it our, the one in our little can... resources like the the hand on heart who um that you can well you could do in either situation I guess I was I was thinking more kind of in the in the work environment just that physical touch and creating like Becca was saying bringing your mind back to the present and then breath work and I mean that can be really good I don't know how old your child is but I think if you can both it sounds as though it's in reaction to to what's going on with your child and I think that could be something that you could actually both practice together maybe Mm. when you when when they're starting to get disruptive or or whatever else is going on and you notice yourself getting really agitated and ready to blow okay well now let's just bring us both back down and they might not know necessarily what's going on but let's just take a few deep breaths and 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 center ourselves and then we can do something about it yeah that's so good to to try to do it together something that um my my therapist was was she introduced me to it is like the reverse breath so it's like supposed to reset everything or even if you the placebo effect of resetting everything so you breathe in um through your mouth for four and then hold for four and then breathe out your nose for four so you're kind of doing the reverse of what <laughs> feels so weird I was just trying to do it yeah. but you know the great thing about it is you have to think about doing it so it kind of gives you that mindful moment to come back to things because you have to think about breathing whereas you know yeah I, I find that helpful Mm. good tip I think with this one just because I have the insight into the client those are excellent like they're amazing um tips to implement and the first thing to come back to is going back to the self-compassion that you both mentioned that first step in self-compassion is your mindful awareness and it's taking that moment to literally say to yourself this feels really hard right now so rather than squashing down the stress in the work meeting that isn't going well or kind of ignoring the stress that you feel around your child it's having that moment at the beginning to say okay I don't like how this feels this is a bit this is a lot and then it's so much easier to go okay when I feel like this then I do these next steps that you guys have mentioned as well and I think it's just sometimes um we shy away from feeling the stress because we're like we haven't got time for this right now but if you make just a few seconds it can really help Mm -hmm. uh Becca okay um right I'm terrified of passing on my poor relationship with food to my children especially my daughter I come from a long line of women with bad relationships with food who have dieted their whole lives and are have always been overweight I want so badly that it that it that this stops with me in your experience have you seen people in this situation who have been able to genuinely break the cycle oh a hundred percent hand on heart hundred percent and it I mean it's great that you've already taken that step and are working with Becca right you, you've got that awareness and you want to put a stop to it um and I think often it's and this is even kind of in the earlier stages of working together I think you begin to kind of pick up on on things that might influence your children 
like you become more aware of perhaps the language that you use whether it's about food whether it's about yourself and then you can begin to challenge it and and I think you're already taking that step right now so yeah really positive positive and I think from the sounds of it family is clearly like something that you value quite highly and when you are finding things challenging you can come back to that and remind yourself that you're doing it for yourself yes but equally you're also making these changes to um, support your children ensure that they don't live through the experiences that you've lived through and I think just not that I think you should always do things for the benefit of others I hate that narrative of like you know you're doing it fill your own cup and then fill other people's cup it, it's good and fine just to do it for yourself but I think coming back to that okay what else do I stand to benefit from like when I make these changes yes my kids don't go through that yes they have a healthy relationship with food their children have got a better chance of having a healthy relationship with food um, and that can be part of your motivation I think which is nice yeah she's yeah. got this she's got this no I was just gonna add as well I think what can be really helpful I mean we talk about this a lot more so I guess with with friends with family with partners perhaps and we hold a lot of shame about it but I think getting your children involved might again be be really beneficial like they don't need I don't know how old they are that they, they don't need to know the ins and outs of it all but I think making the process as fun as it can and in, and as inclusive as it can be as well could be really helpful for you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, okay I drink a lot of caffeine but pretty much all in the form of diet fizzy drinks I don't like the taste of regular tea or coffee whenever I try and reduce my intake of fizzy drinks I get caffeine headaches to the point it stops me being able to work or focus properly how do I manage with see can't get my words out withdrawal without resorting to a load of painkillers or just giving up and having caffeine so I can get through what I'm trying to achieve that day I can't say I've gone through the process of the withdrawal and the headaches but I would imagine it's a case of something you have to go through to get through is that the phrase I think it is um and you you have to ride it out. I don't know if you guys have any experience in like weaning it so that it's not as intense, but I'd imagine it'd still be that withdrawal if thing if it's a very high level of caffeine. Um, I don't know. Go. Is it is is there a like a strategic way you can do this? I think. I mean, I've only ever done it with coffee, and and I started off replacing it with decaf so it's always like placebo mm -hmm. um I like you said I don't think there's an easy way of going about it I think like you said it's it's you have to go through the crappy part to get to the good part um but I would be mindful that and I'm not saying it's the caffeine withdrawal it's just the caffeine with it's <laughs> I'm not saying it's not the caffeine withdrawal, but I think be mindful that because you're cutting out these, these fizzy drinks that you're not then massively reducing your overall water intake. So being mindful to get something else in as well, because obviously 
hydration plays a huge part in in um, concentration at work and performance there. So that's going to be really important. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point, actually, because if if it's that much consumption being reduced, then, you know, her liquid's going to be really reduced, too. So did you get headaches when you sorry, Georgia? I know. Carry on. I'm just asking Anna, did she get headaches when she cut coffee out? Me? Yeah. Um, no, I, I don't. But see, I was only only like at the worst the only coffee I was having at that time was like just instant stuff so it wasn't like the full hit like if you were buying them from the shop or caffeine drinks or anything like that I didn't really suffer that badly and I think there's definitely something in that placebo with decaf yeah for sure I say a couple of my clients have been I don't want to use the word addicted but strongly into diet coke um like from first thing in the morning throughout the day and well into the evening and when we were reducing um that intake we were only taking one out a day and we were replacing it with something else quite similar that was caffeine free so we were looking at like flavored fizzy water to start with so you might feel like what's the point of taking one out a day when I'm on like 10 it's going to make no difference at all well yeah probably but that's quite nice because it means you're less likely to get a headache from any kind of side effects of withdrawing from one and then when that feels quite comfortable you take out another one and swap it for a flavored fizzy water um and then you're ensuring that hydration is being taken care of and you're gradually reducing it to the point where it doesn't feel like a big deal to kind of take one last one out um but I would say don't keep replacing it with fizzy water all the time at some point do swap for like a herbal tea or a regular water or a squash or something um it's good it's good to be away from fizzy like and being able to stomach regular drinks but yeah I would say if you do feel there are side effects go slow because ultimately does it matter if it takes you two weeks to reduce it or two months to reduce it probably not um so just take your time with it Mm -hmm. um is it me I don't know. See, this is why I should be <laughs> Come on, go. It's not me. <laughs> okay, I'll go. Um, any tips on how to cope with the fear of judgment from others? I've noticed that now, hang on, I've noticed now that I'm not as preoccupied with food or my body, fear of judgment can affect my choices. I worry and then that affects my mood. Mm. I think this is something that everybody struggles with. And two things, you're going to have to get comfortable with being judged, end of, because people are always going to make a judgment of you, whether it's about the foods you eat, how you look, what you do, what you say, people are always going to judge and you're going to have to sit and get comfortable with that. But 99% of the time, you're never going to know that they're making a judgment. Mm -hmm. That being said, I think the often what we see is that the the worries about judgments that you are having are often a reflection of your own thoughts and worries so you're projecting them onto other people so I think calling yourself out on that and starting with yourself first and foremost and replacing any judgments you notice you're making replacing them with kindness is the best place to start 
Yeah, I love that. It, it's often a, a projection of what we're insecure about. Um, and it's like looking through our own lens a lot of the time. So being really mindful of, you know, the stories you're telling yourself. And if it's almost you searching for validation that you are thinking the right thing. So like the confirmation bias of the thoughts that you're having. So I really like as well, reminding yourself you cannot, no matter what you do, um, control other people's opinions good bad or indifferent so it's out of your hands almost um and going out to please but still being like quote unquote at risk of someone judging you negatively you know you're not being true to yourself doing that you're not being authentic but then you're just getting the result you know that's that's not aligned with who you are anyway if that makes sense so try to keep in mind that you can't control those opinions only your own actions and keep on trying because it often crops back up for me all the time <laughs> Love persistence that. is key right I guess it's my turn now yeah yeah okay um okay this might sound strange but <laughs> what I'm meeting in the evening but when I'm meeting in the evening and say I'm over halfway eating dinner, I sometimes feel full and I often wonder whether to stop. But then I worry that if I don't eat at all, I will get cravings afterwards. And so I carry on past being full. Any suggestions here? In a way, I'm trying to be mindful because I don't want to then binge later on. But I know I should only be eating to satiety. So I'm in two minds about this. I would say you're worried about maybe having cravings later, but have you tested stopping when you're comfortably full and then exploring or being open to exploring what happens later? And if you do have cravings and you have unconditional permission to eat, then it's the time to decide, well, if it's physical hunger, then maybe I'm allowing myself to have something right now. Um, and if it's not physical hunger, it's a sense of comfort or whatever else that I'm looking for, then kind of leaning on the tools that they've been developing with you, Becca, to kind of to soothe whatever is happening in the evening or to help manage that in a different way. But I would say if you always tell yourself, but if I don't finish this food, I'm going to have cravings, then you're always going to believe that to be true and you're not going to be open to um, finding out if maybe you're wrong. It's quite nice to find out if you're wrong on that one. Yeah, like a little experiment. Hmm. Hmm. I think the only thing I would add, and obviously Becca, you'll be able to say, but I know many people <clears throat> might be able to resonate with this question as well. And it's similar to kind of when we talk about at the beginning of your journey that you won't always um, eat to hunger. And if you are someone that struggles with overeating, with binging, then we want to make sure that you are eating to full satiety. And often, and I'm not saying this is the case here, I'm mindful not to make that assumption, but often we can have that idea of how much we should eat and how we should feel at a meal because we in the back of our head have that thought that well I'm going to overeat anyway so I need to stop here mm -hmm. so it, there yes I completely agree with Georgia in that yeah challenge yourself there but also challenge yourself with varying levels of fullness 
because I think sometimes we can we can kind of stop when we just reach fullness, whereas actually going a little bit higher the scale could improve satiety and reduce that likelihood of overeating even more. Yeah, 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 agree, agreed. But also know that there's going to come a point where this kind of like strategic eating regularly to satiety is going to finish and you're not going to be as like obliged to be as mindful about what you do and you know that transition has to be made at some point and this particular client is is there thereabouts that she can start being that bit more intuitive and not as as structured I'll say mm-hmm. um and I think a lot of it will come back to the notion of not leaving food on the plate as well I think that ties into it as you know to eating until you're satisfied if the plate is clear at that point is easier than if it's there's still food there so um yeah doing doing great with that though um okay this is well I was going to say personal it's not it's just I think curiosity (laughs) but this client has asked what made us move from personal trainers to more of a nutrition focus I, <laughs> the I thinking faces <laughs> I was training people and really enjoying it um but actually I had a few clients who had been told by GPs to lose weight and while working with them I discovered that what they were really struggling with wasn't their motivation to exercise or their ability to kind of get to the gym but genuinely was um they were binge eating and they had huge huge issues around food and it was way beyond my scope of practice to support them um and there weren't many people around to have that support and I thought that you know these are people that talk to me in the gym all the time we spend time together training I really felt like I wanted to be able to do a bit more for them and then having come from a background of disordered eating myself like I was very keen on ensuring that people didn't feel alone and that they had nobody there to support them and it was something that I wanted to come back to um so yeah I did a few kind of like qualifications in nutrition went off to do my master's um and then when I found like Amelia obviously I was like where the hell have you been all my life like (laughs) where were you 10 years ago what at school (laughs) um yeah so realized that actually that brought the two things together very very well um not only training and nutrition but also like relationship with food and um obviously EIQ has really supported the development of that side of things as well so for me it was like a natural transition but but coming from a place of really wanting to support my clients in the best way that I sort of possibly could what about you guys I I didn't really transition from personal training to nutrition I actually started out with just nutrition so I was just offering nutrition for the first the first while um, so I can't really answer it, but I added on personal training to my nutrition. That makes sense. But yeah, I, I never planned on doing the personal training, but what I figured was um, like when I was doing nutrition with people and then their exercise was creating, like, let's say they weren't supporting 
um, you know, their exercise with adequate nutrition or vice versa, I found that they really linked up. So that's what motivated me to to add it on. Um, mm. But I didn't uh, realize you did it the opposite way. <laughs> why do I have to do everything in space? Um, yeah, and I was kind of tying with the idea for ages. And I was like, well, I won't die. And even actually when I did EIQ, I hadn't done my personal training, I don't think. Oh, really? Um, I think I, if I remember correctly yeah but um I, I yeah I, I did I did I got the piece of paper and now I'm the best trainer in the world <laughs> but yeah no I'm not gonna lie my I do love the nutrition side of it and the mindset side of it um that's where my my main passion lies would say mm. I think for me it was always something that I was aware that I had an interest in mm. like even when I was personal training and like they drill into you you can't give nutrition advice you're not qualified you can do their like guidelines but that that's all you can give and at the gym when people were asking me I was like I was competing at the time and I was like oh guys you are not going to want me to help you because I just know how to beat a meal plan and that's it (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I started my nutrition just because it was something that I was really interested in and thought it would tie in nicely obviously with personal training but I remember and I might I can't remember if I said this to Amelia at a check-in or not there was one lecture on my nutrition course that was around eating disorders and obviously my history with disordered eating and it was fantastic it was with Ursula Pilpot and really fab lecture talked about kind of the characteristics and and personality traits of some of the of um, people with some of the eating disorders and I remember thinking crikey I identify with some of that am I just doing that because of my own history with with food and with controlling my body Mm. and I remember just getting to a point where I was like is this something that I should carry on with but similar to Georgia I was like there's also such a need for for this kind of thing and then well the rest is history now I guess yeah I was similar I think my interest in nutrition definitely sparked from my own my own struggles and it's a natural kind of it seems to be very common that you know people with their own history of disordered eating are dietitians or nutritionists or Mm. trainers um so yeah I, I remember having those thoughts too this is <laughs> it was it was like oh crap what am I doing <laughs> yeah so what do we we did this in the counseling course this week which was looking at like the reason why people are doing what they're doing and I think it was called like the wounded healer and mm-hmm. it was like anyone that's been well not anyone but many people who've been through trauma go on to become like therapists of some sort people who had <laughs> like training new <laughs> trainers and like all this kind of thing and I was just like ah oh, interesting all my life is piecing together in my adulthood <laughs> <laughs> honestly I don't know Becca I don't know if you were like this when you did your course but I started level two not obviously I'm not someone that thinks I'm better than anybody else but because of the work that that we do with clients because of the work that I did with Amelia as a client I was like I'm already so self-aware I know I know so much about myself and then I go through the course I'm like crap I knew nothing at the beginning 
yeah it so applies the more you know the more you realize you don't know that that's just <laughs> yeah you're constantly thinking that but like it's actually interesting though because my my supervisor is only saying to me this week like you can only take a client like you know to a place that you've been before and it doesn't mean you have to have gone through the exact same thing as them but like you know that you've done the work quote unquote mm. yourself um so yeah when when things feel really hard and you're like I just want to curl in the ball and not do any of this personal development stuff that's kind of a little nice little push <laughs> have to do it no, keep going do it. we can do it <laughs> uh Georgia yes well on the role of um alternative questions this one is oh, definitely not for me what are your go-to first date questions either for a potential romantic partner or new pals this client is working on building connection right now so amazing it's a good question it's a really good question so first date questions do you come here often <laughs> <laughs> That's the first one that came to mind. You, that will just show you how long it's been since I've been. I don't know. Like, it's really good to be prepared with questions. I I do think, especially if you're nervous. Um, mm. Guys, you want to be. Come on, Anna, go for it. No, you go for it. Uh, well, I mean, this obviously it's um, not done dating. For a while and it may shock people to know that I am such an awkward awkward being but for me and mind out the gutters when I say this I think I'm better at doing to kind of break the awkwardness so not necessarily like having questions prepared I get that and and you do want to like maybe have a few up your sleeve but I think if you're doing like if you're going on a date, fantastic. Make sure it's something that you can like be a bit active with. So you're not you're not just sat in front of the other person thinking, crikey, I have nothing to say to you. What on earth do I need to say? So you can kind of get lost in what you're doing. And then I just think the conversation naturally flows a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. So you're saying don't make it like a weird interview where you're sat opposite each other, like answer this question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, yeah, I am yeah, not gonna yeah. lie, I've come out with like so what sport did you do at school? Like, I don't care. Nobody cares. Nobody needs to know. Like, what, why? But that, that's where I go, apparently. So, okay. <laughs> Yeah. A kind of a combination of two. Like, because when you do get anxious, and if, if you tend to get anxious, there can be that mental block of, oh my God, I have nothing to say, but having something then that you can fall back on. So it's not like a list that you tick off, um, obviously. But also know like it's not just your responsibility to keep it going and you know you just as much to offer in like showing yourself and just being yourself is enough than having to be like oh look at all these wonderful things I'm trying to find out about you yeah. and look how good I am at communicating Do you know showing up as you is, is more but than enough. maybe in a calmer state so way before way beforehand because if you're anything like me you build it up for a week or so <laughs> um, maybe it's like okay well what do I want to find out about this person so mm -hmm. like you said you can arm yourself with those questions but they're like things that you actually want to know <sighs> god if only I'd known that young when I was younger <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's tough one, 
I love that. I agree though. Like I think my best dates have always been where we've been doing activities. It's not been like going for food or like we may have eaten at some point, but it's not been like go for food and then do something. It's usually like go and do something and then maybe you have a drink or then maybe you have something to eat afterwards where you've already bought like built up a little bit of rapport and a little bit of banter and then you can be like okay I've got things to ask about now because they told me a story about this and we talked about whatever while we were out and about and like it it takes it makes it more social I think and the same with friends as well like if I was meeting a friend like like the first time we all met up we didn't sit down and stare opposite each other and be like what's your favorite color like okay what's your favorite type of client it was just like we were out we were doing things we all got to talk to each other got to know each other and then conversation kind of flows like that so I mean I'm especially awkward if you put me in that kind of position like if we were all just sat down in a big group go around in a circle I'd just be like oh just skip over me I don't want to talk but like if we're kind of doing stuff and walking around it's much easier to kind of you feel relaxed so yeah, yeah I have no specific questions that was really unhelpful for me yeah I love that it's, it that's breaking the ice though isn't it what you're mm-hmm. describing so that like you're even more relaxed in yourself then um I think, yeah, like Anna said, going back to what do you actually want to know about the person? That would be a good guide rather than us telling you. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just, just ignore, ignore anything I say. <laughs> Thanks for the question. Ignore our answers. Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> this is what you need, Amelia, that you would probably have a big list. Becca. <laughs> yeah. uh, Becca. Um, <clears throat> okay, sorry. Um, do you... It's forgotten. <laughs> I'm sorry, and it turned Siri on on my phone. My phone <laughs> well, that was me. Okay. okay, back getting back to the podcast. You know what? Yesterday, when I was listening to the radio, it happened to one of the presenters. You could hear their WhatsApp. I was like, "Do you know what? We're all human. It's totally mm. fine." <laughs> it happened to me during my like webinar, and it was my first webinar, and I, I was like, "No, no, no, please." <laughs> okay do you have any thoughts on standing desks I have a standing desk and really feel the need to sit down to work I work at my computer all day pretty much is standing a good thing or if you are someone who has a tendency to overtrain and is looking to reduce training load does this call addition does this cause additional stress on the body my apple watch still tells me to stand despite being stood up as I am obviously quite static through standing and that is the question it's a good question I have a standing desk this is the first podcast I've done sat down in a long long time um I I have a standing desk and I work very well when I'm standing up my concentration is better my focus is better um I am more productive and definitely more present because when I'm sat down it's so much easier to kind of be like oh I'll just pick up my phone and what's happening out the window whereas when I'm stood up I feel quite engaged in in what I'm doing but my motivation for getting a standing desk was from obviously moving online my job is probably the least active that I've ever been compared to running gyms <laughs> doing PT sessions so it actually helps me be more active because if I'm already stood up I'm more likely to go and grab a drink to like make a cup of tea and walk around the garden if I'm sat down I'll just come back with my cup of tea um so it encourages me to to be a bit more mindful but also I noticed I think I mentioned this on a podcast a while ago that like I don't know if this happens to anyone else if you can relate that you wake up kind of halfway through doing something you're like why am I so achy and you're sat in the most bizarre kind of like pretzel position where you've got one knee under one arm and like 
I was like, my back is killing. And actually I was getting quite a lot of pain, but also this could just be down to my age. Um, so actually standing up has been fantastic for um, my back. It feels so good. My hips feel so much better. And also if I have DOMS, I'm, I feel like I recover better from standing up versus sat down where you're like, oh, I can't move now. Um, so anecdotally, I love them, but I'm certainly not someone that needs to reduce my training load. If anything, I need to kind of increase my activity outside of training. Whereas I'm just gonna assume if it's a client who's working with you for HA recovery, it may be something they're reducing, but you're not really gonna up your calorie um, expenditure by standing up versus sitting down a huge amount across the day. So I just maybe look at your motivation for having one. Mm. Yeah, I second that looking at the the why, because I have definitely, definitely, when you guys have all talked about standing desk, I'm like, mm, is that something I need to invest in? But then when I think about it, I'm plenty active already. And for me, don't get me wrong, I can feel it like you were saying, Georgia, like I can feel when my shoulders start to hunch over, when my hips are getting a bit tight and for me that's okay like I don't I work, I work in time blocks so that's kind of okay well let's have a five minute stretch in between whatever I'm doing rather than I mean let's be honest they're not cheap either unless you're doing like a makeshift one that I think Denai did like I'm just not, I'm just not going to invest at the moment so I'll just keep doing what I'm doing and, and stretching out in between if I need to Mine, mine was quite cheap not as cheap as Denise because hers was a cardboard box right yeah, exactly <laughs> <laughs> she did it on a budget which was great um but mine it's just one that you put on the top of a regular desk and then you can lift it up and down um so if you change your mind and you want to turn it back into a desk you can or if you want to move it around you can I mean I wouldn't want to move it it's quite heavy but you, the option's there if you want it where did you get that Georgia this the one you I got this on Amazon actually and I sent the link to Lynn as well um and weirdly, it was like, it was like 150 pounds. And then when I went to buy it, it was reduced to 99. And then by the time I actually ordered it, it was 66 pounds. And oh. the next day it was 33 pounds. And I was like, damn oh, yeah. it, I ordered. <laughs> um, so I actually ordered one for my dad as like an early Christmas present. So he doesn't listen to the podcast, so it's fine. He doesn't know that I got it on a super discount. <laughs> <laughs> he was just like, oh, that's nice. Um, yeah, so... It, you certainly can spend hundreds of pounds if you are looking around but this has done an excellent job and for like 50 60 quid is so good one yeah I think you guys are right with the motive behind it you know if it's a thing where it's oh I want to burn more calories but besides that there's no real issue because like most people report having less pains when they're standing to work um and I've lost my train of thought on that one, but there was another point I had and I can't even remember it. But yeah, if you're anything like me and you get up and down off the chair and like do some yoga poses in between, then you don't need a standing desk. Yeah. Is it me? This is this is awful, isn't it? I'm like, <laughs> like I don't even know who's who's talking. Um, yeah, I think it's you, Anna. Yeah, your question was last, wasn't it, Becca? Right. Okay. Yeah, I'm here. Um, okay, so. My beloved horse sadly passed away a couple of weeks ago at the grand age of 35. I've lost my routine 
and I'm feeling very lost in general. Any suggestions for a new hobby or how to find a way to discover what I might like when you feel too old at almost 41 to try new things? First of all, less of the old at that age, thanks. <laughs> Just saying. Did they, they um, passed away? Can you repeat the start of it? So they they lost their horse. A of weeks oh, ago. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Oh, so I mean, you know how much of a commitment they are. Yeah, that's that's so tough. Um, so now they're looking for a new hobby besides yeah. your horse. Okay. I think it's going to be a case of trying trial and error isn't it um and being really open-minded to to what you might enjoy because if you haven't tried anything for a long time then you're not going to really know um so trying and just seeing what's in your local area and and going for it um if you go once you don't have to go again and you're not too old that's for sure yeah I mean this is kind of similar to when we get asked like when people are kind of finding themselves after health fitness nutrition has, has taken yeah. over and it is very much like you said just going out and, and trying new things but I think if you think about maybe what the what the horse gave you what the kind of the time at the the stables gave you whether that's connection with other people whether that's time outdoors okay well what other things could maybe emulate those feelings and start there and and just try and see how you get on there's no there's no right or wrong I think reframing it as actually okay yeah it's crappy circumstances but this is quite an exciting time for me to find something new that that makes me feel good exactly yeah I think sometimes this doesn't sound like a strange thing to say go with the flow but bear with me because I have a point sometimes you come across things at like obscure times and places so uh, back in August I went to um, the full moon meditation and it was out in this beautiful um, it used to be like a garden center but now it's like they do like uh, pizzas and stuff outdoors and like a big fire what is the word <laughs> pizza fire fire fish yeah that's it <laughs> pizza fire <laughs> um, and I found that on a little leaflet that was pinned to a community board along one of the river walks that I do but only because I went in a different direction down the other side and happened to come across it and I was like oh okay I'll have a little google and see about that um and I went along and I really enjoyed it and then um as I was leaving that they had leaflets out for other things that were on in that um oh god words are hard venue <laughs> there we go <laughs> in the venue and I was like oh yeah I'll have a little look so I googled that and then there's loads of things coming up sort of throughout autumn from doing like autumnal wreaths um like Christmas things um there was like a play on all these things and I was like oh interesting I can't do all of them but I might try like one or two of them I'm not the most creative person like as in if I do it you might think a five-year-old has made it but I'll be quite pleased with myself um and I thought well I might meet some people and have a nice time and yeah I might sign up for one of those and then you know after doing that 
you never know the instructor might be like oh I also do x y and z and then there was one evening I was walking past a bar and I don't like go drinking it's just not something I do they had a tiny little poster in the window for salsa dancing and I was like I didn't even know there was salsa dancing in town because I've googled it so many times and it never comes up but they're obviously just not on the internet <laughs> um it's a small town so yeah I think sometimes it's just sort of being open to the things around you and and trying something out um and even if that thing isn't for you just kind of seeing what comes off the back of that as well so that was a very great answer but I suppose I just kind of wander around life and hope for the best and <laughs> try things out that's kind of my way <laughs> you see the sign like to to go to the full moon ceremony that's a sign to go yeah. you can't the go. universe will just take care of you if you just yeah. wander around blindly I think is what I'm saying <laughs> <laughs> always have trust in the universe mm -hmm. uh right georgia question um why oh this is the deep one why do so many people gravitate towards food as a coping mechanism that feels like an essay title doesn't it discuss yeah but i yeah it's actually really it's a really good question because people don't actually understand the reasoning behind like let's say emotional eating a lot of the time and it is because it is so, it's so effective, isn't it? At what you're setting out to do, even if it's destructive in some way, it's, it's so helpful in that moment. Um, so, you know, we talk about like being in the drive threat or soothe system, Gilbert, Gilbert's emotional systems. And because we spend so much time in the driving threat, which is the doing, the achieving, the production, the stress, you know. I know what you mean, Becca. <laughs> <laughs> like, when we reach that threshold, we want the quickest soothing and food gives us a really quick soothing and a really quick, like happy, feel good hormone spike. Um, and also it's so accessible. Um, it's more socially acceptable than let's say drugs and alcohol sometimes. And highly palatable food is designed for you to want more as such. Like the way they put like the sweet and the salty together in that yummy you know, to, I'm just thinking of like freshly baked cookies or something now with like a melted chocolate. It's just so, it's so appealing. And if you do struggle with it, it's a hard one to battle with because it is like that. It is, you know, at your arm's length or within reach. Mm. Yeah, I think we can't disregard that comfort eating is a legitimate coping strategy yeah. but I think we also like uh, we look at it in that people aren't very good with I mean don't get completely agree with Becca we want quick fixes things that will make us feel good within like a snap of the fingers mm -hmm. but equally we don't want to sit with feelings because well growing up you were told like, be good stop crying so naturally we don't want to sit with the discomfort of what's what's going on and if even if it's kind of you're someone that isn't struggling with emotional eating like sometimes when well, I say sometimes majority of the time when life and things in life feel out of control food and your body is the one thing that you can do so again that's that's something that's a quick fix in that sense yeah 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 and a lot of the time it is to escape like Anna said 
the difficult the difficult emotion that we've been told not to feel for for most of our lives at, at that point um, and to squish it down and to cheer on and to move on so of course the natural response then is going to be to avoid or numb it out um but yeah and then some of it does go back to your relationship with food from let's say childhood if you were always treated with with snacks or you know you're always rewarded with food um it can be very ingrained then as you move into to adulthood there's a combination of reasons let's say one of the most common like if you think back to any episode of any like american tv show or a film some girl has been dumped or is having a stressful day at work and her best friend turns up and they the next scene is them both like they've got this huge carton of ice cream and they're kind of like piling away in it and like even little messages like that like oh, if you're having a bad day just go grab some ice cream you'll feel better is kind of a message that we have sort of been subliminally subliminally yeah. you know what i'm trying to say got you, yeah. yeah got you <laughs> the message has been discreetly absorbed. There we go. Um, and then equally as well, like when we're in a society that, that places a lot of focus on food and on body as well, I think it's natural that, I'm not saying normal as in healthy, but natural and normal because it's a common occurrence that we end up focusing on those things and feeling like, well, if I can control the way that I look or if I can control what I eat, I'm going to be a bit more successful because I'm going to be in line with the things that are more highly praised in our society as well. So it's a, it is a very good question, but it's also a very complex question because there are so many things that you could add to that, I think. Mm -hmm. Right, let's have one last one to finish from Becca. Cool. Hmm. <laughs> okay, so um, this is around bedtime. So happy for you to pass on my question around regular sleep patterns. And okay, I still want to go to bed at half nine. Regardless, I remember on ESG's fitness podcast, Emma said she used to overtrain. And when she stopped after a few months, she felt she had so much more energy and could sleep better. So the question basically is, is does overtraining impact your sleep? If I'm yes. really Yes, yes. I mean, you think about it. Overtraining is stress on the body. And whether it's, from overtraining or not stress impacts our sleep because we are yeah in a stress state even even if you're not kind of feeling the the typical signs of it but I'm thinking I'm not saying this is the case for me but work stress obviously is one that most people or life stress life stress in general but it's the same sense in that if you're overtraining you're stressing the body out and it's going to show up some way or another yeah there was actually a second part to that question oh. so um does it impact if you have a different wake-up time for your circadian rhythm should you have the same sleep bedtime and the same wake-up time optimally uh, i mean optimum what is wrong with those <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that is what is recommended that we keep the same um sleep wake time throughout and it's certainly something that I've started putting into practice a little bit more um even at weekends okay I might have a bit of leeway like 30 minutes to an hour 
but actually I do feel a hell of a lot better for it. Um, like my energy is consistently better. I mean, that's purely anecdotal <laughs> for me, but. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of a similar answer to what I, I kind of just gave my own thoughts um, on this, but her her thing was, oh, I want to sleep until half seven some mornings, but my usual wake up is half five. And I was kind of saying, yeah, there might be some cons, but there's also pros. And hmm. if you feel like having a lay in, then then have it unless you feel absolutely so groggy and it messes up your sleep the following night, then I don't see an issue. Yeah, and, and I think as well, like even if even if your body naturally, and I've definitely been caught up in this, like your body naturally wakes you up at that time. And I've definitely felt, right, that's it. I've got to get up, I've got to do. But whether you, like, you might not be able to get back to sleep but whether you just take a slow couple of hours, if you've got the time, then great. That's still going to be beneficial for you. Agreed. Yeah, one of my favourite things to do that kind of weekend is if I'm still, my body's still waking up at its normal, I don't even need alarm anymore. It just wakes itself up. But actually just kind of grabbing my book and reading in bed for like half an hour, maybe an hour, and then kind of making a coffee and carrying on with my day is quite nice because it's like on a work day you're like oh get up go get some stuff done and on a weekend there's, there isn't that urge but if you are trying to keep your kind of routine going you're still resting even if you're not asleep so you can just kind of like literally have that that lie in and just be like this is beautiful I haven't got to be anywhere how exciting I can just be in my bed and enjoy it yeah I love that or I love getting a coffee and then come back to bed with my coffee oh yeah. that is you want to bring yeah well, we'll leave it there for today. Thank you both. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. And hopefully, Amelia, I'm sure she will be because she's not very good at staying away. Um, hopefully, Amelia will be back next week. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And... As always, if you did, please do feel free to like, share, subscribe and review. And if you would like to chat to me, then you can find details of my Instagram in the show notes.